This man's legal name is Flavor Flav. Counselor, I'll allow it. Yeah, boy! We're surrounded by super powerful forces. Once they get you in their jails, they can figure out ways of keeping for a long time, Caesar. The workers don't have the votes. It can only be attributable to human error. The new immigrants in many places, many of them are not citizens. Most of them don't speak the language. You are now tuned into Fear of a Border Planet. Right, good to be All back right, in back. this building, so to speak. Just three of us. And then there were three. Because our dear friend Jami, friend of the show, uh, will not be joining us from this point on because he's so successful, he's got so much good stuff going on that he's just going to let the three of us take it from here. Yeah, that's... that's but that's no problem for <laughs> that's us. That's a story we've concocted to tell the public. <laughs> you know, this is some... House of Cards, succession type stuff happening in the background, oh, yeah. but we'll save it's you the, over here. the trouble of being an accomplice. <laughs> and and who are we? Like for our first time guests or returning guests who have forgotten since we last dropped an episode three months ago. <laughs> who are we again? Yo, yo, yo. This is your main man, Nelson the Mine, El Comandante de Cuscatlan, Radio Ramon, the Cannabis Kami. Let's go. Uh, this is Ramos. I still don't have... A nickname, a moniker, an alibi, whatever you want to call it. So, so that's pending. I think as as this podcast pending. develops, I'm going to find a a name to to assume, but but we'll get there soon. Well, thanks to my illustrious co-hosts Nelson and Pending. <laughs> now we have the White Wizard. That's me, Carrie, the White Wizard. Going to be even whiter as we move into fall here. It's not going to be pretty, folks. All right, so we're here to talk about probably our toughest target yet. What have we taken? We've taken down ICE detention before, the refugee resettlement system, the deportation of uh, political dissidents. Now we've got the U.S. Supreme Court. Dun, dun, Thank you. <laughs> Nelson, I, I needed the assist there with the sound effect because I wanted, I was picturing <laughs> reverb in my head and I wasn't getting it you know, in well. reality. But before we get in, if you are looking to find our wonderful podcast, you can search Fear of a Border Planet on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. On Twitter, we are at BorderPlanetPod. You can also visit our website, www.BorderPlanetPod.wordpress.com. And we are recording tonight's episode. I won't give you the date, but it's September 2023. A pivotal time in U.S. history. Uh, what, what happened this month? Um, Biden is, on, is here in Michigan. Uh, walking the UAW. Yep. Shouts line. out to all the strikers. So that's your shout out to all the strikers. The time honored tradition of La Huelga. Huelga! Huelga! Yeah, UAW out in the big three and 
and Blue Cross Blue Shield as I walk by two or three times a day. We've got a whole oh. line of folks walking around the Blue Cross Blue Shield mm. building in downtown Power Detroit. Tool. So shout out to them too. I didn't know. Are they a UAW affiliate? I don't know. They are this UAW. It's been a good year for strikes. There you go. Like there's been a lot of really big important strikes this year. <laughs> yeah, shout out the Writers Guild. I think they just came to a yeah, tentative agreement. They're getting tentative a vote. A good deal. Does that make us scabs? Since we're still recording this podcast, are we? I don't care. You line? you wrote you wrote the agenda for today. I'm just here. I'm just speaking. I'm not writing. I wrote the outline. I'm the only scab. <laughs> We're emotional scabs. <laughs> so why are we talking about the Supreme Court? We're not really a Supreme Court podcast. We are an immigrant rights, human rights, sometimes criminal justice podcast. We essentially like to talk about trampling on people's human rights while having a fun time doing it. You won't find that almost anywhere else. Facts. But we've got to talk about the Supreme Court because what bigger rights trampler is there on the scene now? I mean, these this institution has been turned into a squelcher of any principle of justice that we once thought we could rely on in this country. And that goes, too, for non-citizens of this country. So this last Supreme Court term, which is technically called the October 2022 term, though it ended in June 2023, and that's when a lot of the high-profile decisions came out. We saw the end of affirmative action. Uh, We saw, uh, what are the other big ones? It's already September. Student loan, uh, forgiveness broke down. I mean, Roe v. Wade last year. Mm -hmm. Last year, of course. Yeah. Sorry, word to Freddie Gibbs, a.k.a. Gangsta Kane, in the his immortal words on a recent freestyle. He said, fuck the Supreme Court. Y'all should have been aborted. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that was going to Freddie Gibbs. i to add that. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll sample that in a future episode. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> L.A. Leakers freestyle. Love it. But this past term, there were four decisions about the chief topic that we cover here, which is immigration. And we're going to break those decisions down for you, our listeners. You don't have to be lawyers. We hope you're not lawyers. I prefer to hang out with non-lawyers as a lawyer myself. Oh, oh did we, were we going to mention that? That for our new time listeners, uh, our jobs and, and where we are, we're all oh, here yeah. in Michigan, thankfully. Right. Uh, right. I work as a public defender uh, in Detroit, but I live out in Ann Arbor. Ramos, you want to tell folks? I'm also a lawyer, unfortunately. Uh, I work in civil rights, doing mostly police accountability and immigrant rights work. Uh, I work in Detroit, live in Detroit, love Detroit. Mm-hmm. Nelson? Word. Uh, immigration advocate, working with uh, undocumented folks, helping them through this insane process, all these crazy hoops that folks have to jump through to get their papers. Um, working in Detroit as of recently, living in Detroit. Congrats. So big what up, though, to all my people out Mm -hmm. there. I'm unfortunately too much of a suburban dad now at the age of 30 (laughs) to see a Detroit move in my future. But (laughs) I'm there like three times a week. 
So we're going to break down these four opinions on immigration that we got this summer. Uh, we are not Supreme Court experts. We're not professors, but we'll just give you an overview and our general take on this stuff. We'll look ahead briefly to the next term. And then don't worry, we're going to have some fun when we get into some lyrics about court. But Ramos, why don't you start us off? Tell us about one of the most high-profile immigration decisions that we got this past summer, U.S. v. Texas. All right. Now, I'm going to explain a really interesting case. It's actually not all bad, this decision. Um, this is a case about Biden's President Biden's immigration enforcement priorities. Now, let me quickly explain what that means um, for, for the, the new folks tuning in. This pretty much happens with every president, maybe even multiple times during the presidency. Um, the federal government, the executive branch led by the president, usually has the authority to go out and arrest and deport um, people who don't have uh, lawful immigration status under the laws of, of the United States. And so what presidents usually do, maybe at the beginning of the term, sometime in the term, is set these priorities because the government just doesn't have I think we're, we're all thankful for this at the very least, doesn't have the resources to deport everybody who's, who is eligible for deportation. And so they have to set some priorities. Biden's priorities, drastically better than Trump's priorities, um, but priorities are priorities. He's still planning on deporting people, arresting people and deporting people. Um, but he essentially set these relatively lax priorities compared to Trump. You know, we will start with uh, arresting and deporting people with certain uh, criminal backgrounds, um, you know, people who have had uh, certain experiences have violated certain laws um, and, and uh, not arrest and not deport, uh, quote unquote, you know, non-criminal backgrounds um, until uh, until we get to the first couple of priorities. A lot of Republicans, a lot of conservative folks took issue with that, uh, including the states of Texas and Louisiana, uh, who took the Biden administration to court and said, Look at your own laws. It says that under the federal immigration laws, you have to arrest and deport all of these people. You can't just make up new rules saying we're only going to arrest and deport some of the people. You have to arrest and deport all of them. And The law says you need to literally flood the streets with goons until every last one is found. That's in the law. You might need to make like a RoboCop to, to do this. <laughs> The enforcement droid, Series 209, is a self-sufficient law enforcement robot. 209 is currently programmed for urban pacification, but that is only the beginning. After a successful tour of duty in old Detroit, we can expect 209 to become the hot military product for the next decade. No, it's so it's so ridiculous. It's, like, it's absurd. It's an absurd proposition, too. I mean, I guarantee you every single one of us, the three of us on this podcast, Everybody listening, everybody not listening, we break the law every day as we go about our lives. Um, oh, no question. Right? Like there are there are things mm -hmm. that we could be ticketed for, arrested for, jailed for that we do every day that by policy that on purpose is not enforced because it just doesn't make sense to ticket or arrest every jaywalker, ticket every single person that goes a mile above the speed limit. Um and, and so the idea that anybody, let alone 
one of the 50 states or two of the 50 states in this case could take a government to court and say, you're not arresting enough people. You're not deporting enough people because the law says these people are eligible for arrest, eligible for deportation. It's an absurd proposition to begin with. On top of that, in order to go to court, you have to prove some sort of injury, right? Like if, if Carrie punches Nelson, I can't go to court and sue Carrie for punching Nelson unless he punched him so hard that I was shocked and, and threw I up. I could deeply upset you right. in the way that I punched Nelson, but I haven't punched that many people in my life, so it probably wouldn't be that upsetting. Right. It punched me so hard it like hit you. Right. Somehow. You pun- knocked the teeth out of his mouth and lodged them into my face. Maybe. <laughs> this is quickly becoming an awful law school. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting too deep into this. Let me dig myself up. And so Texas and Louisiana are essentially saying that you've punched me in the face by not deporting enough uh, immigrants in my, you know, in my states. Um, an absurd proposition. You know, essentially they're saying you're costing us resources by not arresting and deporting the people that the law says you have to arrest and deport. And so, as is the case with a lot of, uh, you know, lawsuits like this that start in Texas and make their way up the courts. A conservative court in Texas rules in favor of, of Texas and Louisiana says, no, you're right. Biden has to arrest and deport all these people. Their priorities are, 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 uh, are unlawful. Goes up to the appeals court, also in the same area, Texas, Louisiana. Agrees. Finally makes its way to the Supreme Court. And Carrie, I don't know if you want to talk about the shadow docket at this point. Oh, yeah. You know, even though we, the ultimate outcome at SCOTUS of this case isn't terrible in that they do affirm the executive branch's ability to set these priorities. You have a really toxic dynamic at play in this case, which is that for, I want to say it was over a year, you had these priorities remain struck down because the Supreme Court, before it made its ultimate decision, made a preliminary decision to affirm the stay of the priorities, which means that they agreed that the priorities should not apply until they decided the case. And they, when they agreed that, they did it on what's often called the shadow docket, which is their docket not for deciding the ultimate merits of a case, but for deciding these matters, usually about earlier stages of cases, whether something should or should not go into effect while the case is playing out. And when they issue these decisions, they can issue them without opinions, without really any explanation for what they're doing. And we've seen terrible decisions on the shadow docket regarding things like voting rights, things like abortion access, etc. And this was a situation where in an, I believe there was no explanation given for this shadow docket opinion. Supreme Court said, you know what? For now, no priorities. And when you have no priorities, it's so cynical. It's just saying, okay, rather than spend our resources on these so-called priorities, people with criminal convictions, suspected terrorists, and recent border crossers, we're just going to use them on anything. It's just going to be a random smattering of people who might be subject to 
to enforcement. So that's why having no priorities is, it's just like a means of terrorizing the 10, 11 million strong immigrant community, undocumented community that we have here in the U.S. And the Supreme Court in allowing the absence of priorities at Texas and Louisiana's behest for like, I think over a year, just did violence on the community for that much longer. So that's what I want to say about Shadow Docket. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's also an easy way to give a win to your, you know, your conservative colleagues down in, in Texas and, and Louisiana, right? Like, no explanation given, but that's right. your decision can stand until we until we look into this further. It's It's kind of an absurd proposition that, like, this is something that every president you know, for the, for in recent history has done, but the Supreme Court is saying, you know, until we really look into this, Biden, you can't do this. You know, it's kind of like if Carrie buys a house and I file a lawsuit making the absurd claim that actually I own that house. You know, in some ways it's kind of like a court saying, you know what? Until I look into this, no one owns this house. <laughs> like, Carrie, you can't enjoy the house you just bought. Like, You should have thought of that. And, and and so so yeah, these shadow docket opinions are absurd. There's you know I think there's a, a book recently by a law professor named Stephen Vladek, um, Steve Vladek on um, on, um, on on the shadow docket for for all you nerds who want to read a book about it. Um, but I'll save you the hundreds of pages and just say it's a bad thing. But back to the back to this opinion. So after the Supreme Court said, "Sorry, Biden, you have to wait for us to make the decision for you," they actually did end up siding with Biden. They didn't say, Biden, what you did was okay. You know, Biden, uh, your priorities are are above board. What they said was, Texas and Louisiana, you don't have a strong enough argument to be the ones to challenge these priorities. You know, the, the legal term standing. You don't have standing to sue the Biden administration for what essentially doesn't really harm you. Again, you're claiming that somehow Biden's decision not to arrest and deport 100% of the people that the law says should be arrested and deported somehow hurts Texas and Louisiana? No, we're not buying it. And so that allowed Biden to continue to, to implement his immigration enforcement priorities. Saved a lot of people from the hassle of individual ICE officers on the ground making those decisions. Now there's at least some kind of missives from the top saying you should focus your resources on, on, uh, on certain categories of people instead of others. You know, the the fact remains that people are still being arrested and deported every day. You know, priorities are still uh, priorities. They're still saying deport these people, and it doesn't matter if it's these people or those people. It's people. But uh, but the Supreme Court did let Biden's immigration enforcement priorities uh, stand. But like any you know any win, as rare as it is in a Supreme Court like this, is not an unqualified win. We're talking about the Supreme Court saying that someone didn't have standing to sue in court. This is actually, if you expand it beyond immigration, uh, this is a project that conservative judges and justices have been on for the last few decades to limit the principle of standing because it's usually civil rights plaintiffs, plaintiffs seeking to vindicate their civil rights who are caught up in arguments about whether or not they have standing. But I guarantee you in a few years, the hopefully not Republican, you know, Attorney General of the United States, but, but 
you know, we'll see. I guarantee you in some years, there's going to be an attorney general of the United States who's using this uh, same case and making the same argument against California, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut. You know, pick, pick your blue state who's suing, who knows, DeSantis, Trump, whoever it may be, um, for, for some absurd uh, federal policy. Right. I mean, you go back to the Trump administration and you saw a lot of those challenges to these horrible Trump policies were actually brought by states. Mm-hmm. You have the uh, the Muslim ban case is Trump v. Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't remember off the top of my head, but you could imagine what's been done in this USB Texas case being used to totally shut Hawaii out of court from challenging the Muslim ban. Mm-hmm. The, the, the cherry on top is that they, there's always an excuse to depart from your own project when it benefits you. And I think the student loan case right. is a perfect example of that. In this case, they said, you know, Texas, Louisiana, tough luck. But when it, it came to a really controversial, you know, front page news case, that's just very clearly Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal, whatever you call it the Supreme Court somehow found a way around its own rules and said, no, you know, actually, Missouri, you do have standing to sue the Biden administration just because you have this agency called Mohila, which is a student loan servicer, as us who are serviced by Mohila know, um, just because that, you know, that organization Mohila is, is located in the state of the state of Missouri and it's associated with the state. You know, there's always a reason when push comes to shove, if standing for a kind of absurd legal proposition is needed uh, on, a, on a conservative legal cause, the Supreme Court will find it. Um, and so this is really, you know, the overall project of eroding uh, the ability to sue in courts while leaving just enough loopholes for conservative legal causes to jump through. Um, and it's where we find ourselves in a lot of civil rights type cases in the Supreme Court today. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of think if it had been a different immigration policy that in this case that Texas and Louisiana were challenging that they Supreme Court might have found standing but I think the proposition of challenging these priorities and like you think about prosecutorial priorities you know we can't arrest everyone that's something that's been around for so so long they were kind of like we can't do it in this case but if you know say well that's the the DACA case it's I believe the DACA case is also Texas as the plaintiff saying that we have standing to object to the DACA program because, oh, all these people in Texas with DACA puts a strain on on Texas's public services. Yeah, so we're going to have to we're going to have to issue driver's licenses to all these people like all those. Oh, how expensive that will be. Meanwhile, there uh, we'll get into the, the buoy wall later <laughs> and how much that yeah, might have cost. I'm... It's fun. They're like objecting to the duties of being a state. Mm-hmm. Like, right. 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 Like, oh, we have to issue driver's licenses? Mm-hmm. Like, they're residents of your state. That's how it works, wow. as a. how you exist as a state. <laughs> Nelson, let's hear from you about USV Hansen. Now, USV Hansen. Uh, is not one of the good ones that are mm. relatively good ones that we uh, may be talking about tonight. Essentially, First Amendment question came to the court uh, with this guy 
Helaman Hansen, who, even though, you know, case-wise, we are taking his side, he's not doesn't seem like a great guy because he was <laughs> a man in California who was running a scam, promising non-citizens a path to citizenship through, like, this fake adult adoption program, charging them tens of thousands of dollars and yeah. them getting nowhere. So Hanson, this is not to say Hanson is the hero of the story by any means, but <laughs> it is just interesting how it played out uh, because he was convicted on mail and wire fraud charges, naturally, but also on charges that he had encouraged or induced non-citizens to stay in the United States after their visas had expired. Hmm. So the the core of the case is sort of this idea of the constitutionality of convicting someone or like banning the encouragement or inducing of immigration. And so he was relying on this First Amendment doctrine known as the overbreath doctrine, sort of saying that this is too broad of a definition to say like this kind of speech is banned and this type of speech can be criminalized. Eventually, where the Supreme Court landed with an opinion authored by uh, our favorite abruptly appointed judge, <laughs> Amy Coney Barrett, with her stolen Supreme Court seat. Um, That's well put. An expansive reading of the statute the court recognized would arguably criminalize political advocacy or general encouragement. So to avoid that result, the majority interpreted encourage or induce to be terms of art that Congress used in a specialized criminal law sense, essentially covering only what falls within the established common law crimes of solicitation and facilitation, which means basically that someone can only violate the statute if they intend for an immigrant to come or remain in the U.S., while knowing that is unlawful. Uh, so in more plain terms, basically what they're saying is that it is illegal to encourage or facilitate through speech uh, people to come to the United States if you know they're going to do so in a quote-unquote illegal way, which is a very broad... You know, in this opinion, they're saying it's not broad, like, oh, right. you know, this is very limited. It's going to be super just for the criminals who are smuggling people over the border. But that's not really what that means, because encouragement and facilitation of immigration, like a lot of people do that, you know, that yeah. could include families and friends planning with other, you know, family members or close you know loved ones who live uh across the border somewhere helping them cross and you know the mere act of speaking it and planning it can become criminalized and if you work in immigration advocacy like many of us do if you work in activist spaces or you know sort of political advocacy spaces as Maybe even some people on this podcast have stated before that yeah. people should be able to do stuff like that. Um, you know. Yeah, can we can we just under say this, that on the under podcast? some circumstances? Come to the U.S. illegally. 
come <laughs> here without status. Is that a federal crime now? Yeah, exactly. We know you're not allowed, but come anyway. Without papers, we don't care. <laughs> papers are stupid. officially co-signed by the podcast. <laughs> We're going to get a cease and desist letter. Uh, but we don't care because it's stupid if, to say if that this it is increases illegal. our audience by the 500 <laughs> FBI agents that will now be listening, <laughs> I, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Hey guys, God, we're we're getting all these like downloads out of Langley, Virginia. What's that about? <laughs> you know, increasingly we have are seeing the Supreme Court sort of dictate what kind of things you can and cannot say, especially in sort of social realms and pushing folks in a more conservative direction, which is ironic given that this is also the same types of people who are these free speech absolutists that are like, people should be able to, you know, like you should be able to say whatever you want unless you are advocating for there to be more brown people around and then you don't like that. Then, then you're guilty of a federal crime. Yeah, yeah, I, I have so many problems with this Hanson decision, and yeah, one of that, one of them is what you alluded to, Nelson, about how much they're pretending they're narrowly framing this, and you even see some of the media doing the same thing. Like I saw the SCOTUS blog article about this says Supreme Court narrows the scope of this federal statute in U.S. v. Hansen. No, narrowing the scope would be striking it down as unconstitutional. You didn't narrow its scope. You blessed it constitutionally. You said, this is fine because we think this is only going to be applied to, like, the real, real criminals, like Mr. Hansen, who, like, was legit running this, like, very harmful scam but and sotomayor talks about this in her dissent the the whole purpose of the overbreadth doctrine in first amendment is that you if you find laws like this that are overbroad you strike them down in their entirety not because they're necessarily being applied against innocent speech but because they have a chilling effect on innocent speech and now we have blessed this statute as not overbroad, saying, oh, don't worry, everyone. Our esteemed assistant U.S. attorneys around the U.S. will only bring this charge when there's clear, clear evidence that there is criminal intent on behalf of the alleged inducer or encourager of illegal migration. But that's Pandora's box. There's nothing you could do more to chill this type of speech than let a law like this stand with a Supreme Court stamp of approval, which did not exist until now. And on top of that, this is this is the issue I have with any you know any time you know the the argument is made that like oh like only the you know the worst actor should worry about this law like it's just this inherent trust in the people making the decisions to arrest and charge right. like sure like best case scenario like a charge won't stick when it when it gets to court but like getting arrested and charged in the first place is is upending you know it it, it can ruin a life 
Of course. Um, and, and just to have this law on the books, you know, chilling effect on top of the fact that it's just one tool that uh, a prosecutor, investigator in the future can use to go after family members, like Nelson said, immigration advocates, if they really wanted to. And that's that's the real fear for me is that like, even if this case is thrown out, like just getting to that point is just devastating. Missing work, not being able to pick up the kids from school, all that kind of stuff. Like that comes with right. an arrest or with being yeah. caught up in court. Telling people like you're not allowed to encourage or induce immigration as well. Like that's dangerous for people who have like face it, people are going to immigrate anyways. But the yeah. the harder you make it for people to talk and coordinate and plan with each other, which would count as encouraging or inducing immigration, and it does count when oftentimes when people are applying for some kind of status, you know, they have to say, Oh, I planned to come to the United States with well, people like of course people make plans. Because that's how you survive and make sure you can make it to the other side. Because if you don't come with a plan, the more likely you are to not make it over. And the harder you make it to plan, the harder you make it for people to survive the journey that they are going to make regardless of whether or not you think it's okay. That's exactly right. It does feel like the primary target possible target of this is just the millions of families out there who are trying to get their loved ones who are stuck back in whatever country they're in into the U.S. Families who might need to send money abroad for the journey, who might need to pay a coyote to escort them across the border, who might need to do any number of things, whether they know it's legal or not, to try to reunite with their families. And now the Supreme Court has said, maybe that's a crime. Okay, we're not saying it's a crime. It's only a crime if you're a criminal. But we're not, who's to say before any investigation starts who is and is not a criminal? It also, prosecutors are just so obsessed with layering charges on top of each other. Like something that strikes me about Hansen's case is that he was all, in addition to this inducement he was also already convicted of the mail and wire fraud charges it's like hello our laws are already applying to this stuff no one thinks that this guy escapes punishment for his adult adoption scam without this law in place they just want something else to stick him with it's just i i don't like it <laughs> All right, well, I'm feeling upset. Let me roll into my case uh, that I'm covering today. This is Pugin v. Garland, or I think you would pronounce it as Pugin. The guy's name is Jean-Francois Pugin, and another uh, petitioner also named Fernando Cordero Garcia, both permanent residents of the United States. They both lived in the U.S. for decades, and they were both uh, found guilty of offenses relating to obstruction of justice. In Mr. Pugin's case, he pleaded guilty to accessory after the fact of a felony. 
and Mr. Cordero Garcia, he was convicted of dissuading a witness from reporting a crime. And so the kind of question here is whether these offenses that they're found guilty of constitute what in immigration law we define as an aggravated felony. This is a category of crime in immigration law that makes people, even green card holders who've been here for decades, deportable. And there's a bunch of different things that go into what makes an aggravated felony. And one of those is, quote, a crime related to obstruction of justice. Now, in this opinion, we have the conservative majority with Justice Kavanaugh saying, basically, these things seem related to obstruction of justice. And who cares whether an actual court case had started or not? It's just like justice is always going on. And if you're obstructing it, you're guilty of an aggravated felony. That's basically Judge Kavanaugh's argument. Judge Sotomayor, in dissent, points out that when it comes to what sorts of convictions lawful permanent residents should be deported over, we have to strictly adhere to something that we've adhered to for decades called the categorical approach. And what the categorical approach says is that you look at what the immigration law says is deportable. In this case, it's a crime relating to obstruction of justice. And you say, what is, what is the core of that? What is the true meaning of a crime relating to obstruction of justice? And if the person is convicted of any crime, usually it's a state crime, if that state crime covers conduct that could be broader, that could fall outside that core definition, then they should not be rendered deportable. In other words, she says that most of these state obstruction of justice or some of these state obstruction of justice charges can include obstruction when there's not a pending court case. But really, when you look at federal law, obstruction of justice is about obstruction of ongoing court proceedings, and it should not stretch any further than that. Quoting from Sotomayor's dissent here, she says, interference with an ongoing investigation or proceeding is at the core of what it means to be an offense relating to obstruction of justice. I think about this, it's like the right to not involve the government in your affairs. That's actually what we're talking about here. Because a lot of things that Justice Kavanaugh would label as a crime of a deportable crime of obstruction of justice might just be a, a family or a community or two individuals sitting down after a crime has occurred and saying, let's handle this ourselves. Let's not report this. Do you think that people should have the right to do that? Because I certainly do. Because I think there's a lot of people, particularly people who might not be citizens of the U.S. and might not have trust for U.S. institutions, who would make the decision that even though a crime may have been committed, that they would not like to involve the authorities in it. But according to Justice Kavanaugh, that's a crime that you should be banished for our country from committing. And Sotomayor herself points out that minor offenses such as failure to report a crime could now 
be aggravated felonies justifying deportation of decades-long residents in the country. Yeah, it sucks. On that uplifting note, there's only one other... Uh, the only other decision relevant to immigration from this term uh, that I'll just touch on briefly is called Santo Sicaria v. Garland. This is not a negative decision per se. It is a decision that says for people who are appealing decisions of the immigration court, having appealed to the Board of Immigration Appeals, the next step would be to appeal from the Board of Immigration Appeals to the Circuit Court of Appeals, the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals. And what the Supreme Court has said is that you can go straight to the Federal Circuit Court of Appeals without filing what's called a motion for reconsideration with the Board of Immigration Appeals. Basically, they're saying, no, you don't have to take this extra step after you've lost at the BIA in order to exhaust your claims. You can just go straight to the circuit court from there. That's an 8-1 decision. Frickin' Justice Alito is the only dissenter. What does he say? Um, I didn't even copy it. It wasn't even worth it. We, we don't need to pollute the airwaves with more Samuel Alito. Uh, but that's not a bad case, but it does give me an opportunity to transition into a couple of the CERT grants that we have for this upcoming term, because one of them is relevant, I think, to the Santo Sicaria decision that just came out, and it's going to be possibly a lot worse. I said the phrase CERT grant, that's short for a grant of certiorari. It's just when the Supreme Court says, we will take up this case. And the case that I'm looking at is called Wilkinson v. Garland. This is about whether, once you've gone up to the Board of Immigration Appeals on something called non-lawful permanent resident cancellation of removal, whether you can appeal that determination to the Circuit Court of Appeals. Specifically for this non-LPR cancellation, you have to prove that your U.S. citizen relatives would experience what's called extreme and extraordinarily unusual hardship if you were removed from the United States. In this case, is going to decide whether a judge's determination of extreme and extraordinarily unusual hardship is something that can be appealed to that circuit court of appeals or not. And I'm very scared that this Supreme Court will say no and will basically say the Board of Immigration Appeals has the last word on whether your family would suffer extreme and extraordinarily unusual hardship if you were deported. Basically cutting off a super important avenue of judicial review for people seeking this form of relief. People who by definition have been in the country for at least 10 years, have no convictions, and have U.S. citizen relatives. If they've gotten to that stage, they have all of that. And now, Supreme Court, I worry, is going to say that you get to go before an immigration judge, get to try one more time with the BIA, which is not very friendly to respondents. And if you lose there on the extreme hardship, that's it. And I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll add like, no Supreme Court case exists in a vacuum. There's a reason that the Supreme Court took up this case. And that reason isn't because this is an answer that, or this is a question that hasn't been answered and the Supreme Court needs to step in, right? These are cases that the justices, you know, 
I think four of them have to vote to take the case. Um, and, and they take the cases right. they want to take. And this is part of a larger project of not, not even limiting the relief that immigrants get, but to stopping them altogether from going to the federal courts. And this has been a joint project by the Supreme Court right. and by Congress. Congress has literally stepped in and said, you know what? For certain cases dealing with immigration, you can't even appeal them to the, to the federal courts. The concern is that they're going to follow their pattern of pushing immigrants further and further out of the federal courts, because God forbid immigrants are allowed in our courts. In this God country. forbid we provide any real process for expelling people who have been here for decades. The only other immigration-related cert grant we know about for this coming term, ugh, I almost don't even want to get into this. There's been this whole saga about how to properly give people what's called a notice to appear in immigration court, what needs to be written on the notice to appear, because ICE will like to just say, you must appear in immigration court at a place to be set, at a date to be set, at a time to be set. And that's not real notice because you don't know when or where the heck your court case is going to be. So the Supreme Court in a previous decision called Pereira has said that more notice than that needs to be provided. But somehow this has made it back up to the Supreme Court multiple times since Pereira, which was only a few years ago. There's another case on the docket for this coming term, Campos Chavez v. Garland. That's basically the exact same question. So that's really boring, but it is important because people need to have more information about when they need to show up for court before they get an in absentia removal order, meaning the judge says, that person's not here. I'm giving them an unchangeable deportation order. And then they show up to court and say, I, no one told me when to show up. And they say, too, too bad. bad. We gave you this piece of paper that said that the date and time of your hearing would be determined. <laughs> like, what the fuck? We're going to say, yeah, we told you to come at a time and a place. How was that <laughs> not clear? Yeah, we determined it. We just didn't tell you. <laughs> right. It was your job to know that. What we, oh, what we decided. Yeah, that's immigration court to a T, arbitrary mm -hmm. decisions that they don't like to inform you of. Now, Nelson, is there something else we think might make it up to the SCOTUS in this coming term? Yeah, we were also thinking maybe the SCOTUS, we'll see if they decide to rule on the buoys that the state of Texas has decided to put up for anybody who hasn't caught that headline yet. The state of Texas, amidst their Operation Lone Star, and mm -hmm. I'm using the largest air quotes possible <laughs> because, you know, classic Texas, big dick bravado, mm -hmm. one of the big attention-grabbing pieces of this effort has been the installation of these large buoys in the Rio Grande where people often cross over from Mexico to the United States and they've just installed these giant floating buoys in the river with razor wire covering them as a deterrent to you know stop people from trying to swim over which of mm -hmm. course it hasn't because guess what 
we're gonna come anyways mm-hmm. it's just happening that is not to say that it isn't affecting people because uh it has you know these buoys have already been claiming lives yeah bodies have been found entangled in the buoys near the buoys the bodies of children even have been found drowned because they couldn't get across the river because of these buoys. There have even been reports of border troll agents and like Texas cop, you know, all these sorts of law enforcement agencies that are being mobilized by the state to persecute immigrants. There's even reports of people being pushed back out into the river when they're, you know, reaching out, grasping for help, like, it's been a really whole horrible moment in a series of horrible moments that the state of Texas can, likes to perpetuate. And they've been fighting in court for a minute to be able to keep their buoys up. They were told by a judge at one point to take them down. And an appeal, a higher up appeals court then decided, no, you can keep them up. And so it's been a whole ongoing legal battle that may be reaching the supreme court soon so stay tuned for that Um, yeah i believe the district court the federal district court ordered the buoys be taken down because they're a violation of mexico's sovereignty because they're close to mexico and they disrupt u.s mexico diplomatic relations they're a violation of environmental laws and they are impermissible kind of state intrusion on national immigration policy and border management. I don't know if all of those reasons were included in the order, but that's kind of what's floating around. And then the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, the unhinged Fifth Circuit, reversed that decision and said, no, the buoys can stay. So we could be setting that up for a buoy fight at the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And the buoys are still there, as far as I know. They are. And, you know, I I was telling you guys off air, even I remember, like, it's crazy how the fact, you know, there's all these policy debates going on over the buoys, like, well, sovereignty, no sovereignty, well, blah, 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 states rights, federal immigration, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, can we just zero in on the fact that this is killing people, like actively (laughs) killing people, actively killing children, and that is somehow not the point of contention. Nelson, you clearly don't understand the brain rot that comes from being a lawyer. It's about, like, are we killing people the lawful way? (laughs) Is this an actually legally cool killing or not? It's a wonderful world. Well, on that cheery note, are we ready to have some fun? Let's transition. Right about now, NWA court is in full effect. Judge Dre resigning. In the case of NWA versus the police department, prosecuting attorneys are MC Red, Ice Cube, and Easy Motherfucking E. Order, order, order. Ice Cube, take the motherfucking stand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help your black ass? You goddamn right. But won't you tell everybody what the fuck you gotta say? Fuck, fuck the Supreme Court. Coming straight from the under. <laughs> See, that's Fuck the Police, which is like, it's mm-hmm. obviously a cop song, but I just love that court intro. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the back half here is lyrics about court. Some of our favorite in hip hop and rap call outs of 
the ups and downs of being in court. I mean, usually it's a down, and that'll be a theme, is that when rappers talk about court, they usually don't want to be there. What do you think of that uh, that NWA intro right there? I love it. I mean, I, I think not only, like, it, it just, you know, without getting into, like, the legal philosophy of it all, it, like, just highlights that it's just all one big pipeline, right? It's a song about the police, but it starts out in a courtroom. One end of a pipe is the police, and the other end is the judge banging that gavel, rubber stamping what, what the police decided to do in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, on top of that, it's just fun. It's like making a mockery of the court system, in, in a way. Um, the statements that are made, uh, the you know, if you watch the music video and all that, it's just you know, it, it's 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 having fun with an obviously absurd system, right? That we pretend is some bastion of justice or some objective kind of process to find the truth is just laid out as absurd, um, mm-hmm. nothing more than a pulpit of of expressing your opinions and, and perspectives and trying to find some validation in the laws and the judgments of old white men. Yeah. I think if you take the, the fuck the police court intro, literally you've got judge Dre presiding and prosecutors are MC Ren, uh, ice cube and easy motherfucking, and easy motherfucking e. e. Is this a, is this a criminal case against like a violent cop or is this a, like a 1983, like a civil rights action against the cop? Either way, I feel like the message is whatever action they're pursuing against the police, they're only going to get justice with judge Dre presiding. <laughs> Facts. This reminds me of like the, the court they set up. What was it in one of the, uh, batman movies i think the dark knight rises oh yes it's like vigilante justice yeah and it's oh i remember where the scarecrow Scarecrow was the judge and he's just sentencing all the cops and the rich guys and the judges to right so they're flipping the script and and taking justice into their own hands you are philip striver executive vice president of daggett industries who for years has been living off the blood and sweat of people less powerful than him. Paul Bain, I'm, I am one of you. Bain has no authority here. This is merely a sentencing hearing. Now, the choice is yours. Exile or death. Um, and now the police are indulging in this wonderful fantasy where we have a, a black judge and a crew of black prosecutors sending a bunch of cops to jail. Well, so that's a great example to kick us off. Why don't we... This is one of my favorite songs, man, by an amazing Detroit rapper by the name of T. Grizzly. Mm. Go get a thermometer for the pot. I need this shit cooked right. Let's keep that water 400 degrees Fahrenheit. You ever been inside a federal courtroom? You ever went to trial and fought for your life? We made it out Kentucky after all that happened. After the pre-trials, after the status, after them impact statements, after the castle, hey, JR, n- ain't it a blessing? We made it out of Lansing after all that happened. That bitch, n- after Michigan State, after Hubbard, when our man's told on us, them bands they took from us. Yeah, that's a good um, court pump-up song. Let's just say that. Have used. Guaranteed results. Love it. I mean, it's just, just like from a hip-hop perspective, like I remember the day this song came out. 
And like, mm -hmm. I just remember everybody talking about it. Maybe not the day it came out, but just like soon after it came out. And like, I was about to say, like, I put this new wave of Detroit hip hop on the map, but I feel like that's not giving Detroit hip hop its, its, its proper due. But for a lot of people, I mean, this was really like a turning point in putting Detroit back on the map with this uh, like really unique sound. And then just on top of that, connecting it back to, to, to the legal aspect of it all. It's just, this, I mean, this was literally like about T Grizzly's quote unquote first day out. Like he did like three, four years, I think three years, uh, I think on a robbery charge. Um, yeah. Just the clarity of the, of these lyrics, you know, you ever been inside a, a federal courtroom, you ever went to trial and fought for your life? I mean, this is, this is just straight from the source. Like T Grizzly talking about his experiences, like here we are, lucky as we are like you know having uh, either a legal education or working in the legal industry and um you know learning and doing but you know having the privilege not not you know having to experience um really kind of bearing the brunt of, of the systems we, we fight against uh, in our day jobs and on this podcast pre-trials status impact statements i mean these are like mm -hmm. things you learn on the job not even law school like you, you got to be right. years into your career to really start calling things pre-trials and status impact statements, um, or you could actually be put on trial and have to live that and, and face the reality of, of catching up with all this jargon and all this legal mumbo jumbo and, and really just living it. And and I think this is clearer than so much. Uh, of the text I read in law school, clear than so many other songs, uh, and, and really just putting you in that courtroom, not behind a barrister's bench or you know as a as a lawyer, uh, but really in in the hot seat. I I love this song. I love T Grizzly. Like he says in the song, he was facing cases in two different states. He was accused of, I want to say like breaking into dorm rooms at Michigan State University when he was a student there mm -hmm. and like stealing shit. Yeah. And like we said about Black Star, they describe themselves as the real life documentarians. And yeah. I feel like when we usually think about that, it's more about what's going on in the community, what's going on in the street. For T Grizzly, for years of his life, that was about courtrooms and penitentiaries. And it's just an example of how someone who's caught up in that situation can learn a lot more about how these things work than we, you know, supposedly brainy lawyers do. Yeah. T Grizzly's like, he's such a skilled storyteller. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think first day out is a great example of like how you were speaking on Ramos, how vivid it is and kind of descriptive of being, putting you right in that courtroom throughout T Grizzly's discography. Like he's got whole storylines that carry over throughout albums about different like characters and situations. Like he's a great storyteller. And I think storytelling is helpful when, especially in this kind of context, when we're trying to learn and educate about the legal system and the processes that people have to go through because it shows you it's a human thing. It's not just this sort of abstract something that happens to somebody else. Was this in the clip? Because this is one of my favorite lines from the song. He's like, 
My offer was thirty years, not a day lower. I told them crackers holler at me when they sober. One of the best lines. I it's love I that think line about in my yeah. daily life quite a bit. <laughs> I I was listening to this song earlier today. That was funny. It's funny that it came up. Now. And I think it got huge because I think soon after it was released, LeBron tweeted it or retweeted it. Mm-hmm. All right, that's T Grizzly. Let's move on. Oh, let's talk about Miss Lauren Hill. Because it all, all falls down. the truth in a courtroom of lies purges the jurors witnesses spies crooked lawyers false indictments publicized it's entertainment the arraignments the stipulations that's just a take like this song is loaded with just takedowns of the legal system mm. it's just non-stop and we have lauren hill to thank for all falls down uh, right the kanye west song i think there are some sampling issues and someone else saying the chorus but yeah, uh, but it's it's this song, it's it's beautiful. This song off like yeah. her MTV unplugged tape. That's I, do you even call that an album? Do you call it Lauren's second and final album? I that's what I call yeah. it because I'll take what I can get. I mean, that's the best we're gonna get, really. <laughs> right. You know, she laid down the one studio album, and she was just like, "Okay, I changed the game enough." <laughs> right. Nelson, why don't you spit these bars that we have copied here? Mm. Yo, in the words of the legendary Miss Lauren Hill, Yo, y'all can't handle the truth in a courtroom of lie. Purges the jurors, witnesses despised. Crooked lawyers, false indictments publicized. It's entertainment, the arraignments, the subpoenas. High-profile gladiators in bloodthirsty arenas. Enter the dragon, black robe, crooked balance. Souls bought and sold and paroled for 30 talents. Court reporter catch the circus on the paper. Filed in the system, not acknowledged by the maker. Oof. Mm. Just in that, which is just a fraction of the song. There's so Mm -hmm. many different things here. Yeah. All these yeah, you just gotta. This is one. This is one of those songs where you just gotta sit down and like, re- listen, listen again, read the lyrics, listen one more time, and it, it's a lot packed into a little. I like. I just like this tiny little phrase. She says, "Black robe, crooked balance." It's like the, the idea of a crooked balance, like a judge is trying to like balance these things but it's always crooked it's always biased one way or another it's just i don't know to me it it captures so much in so few words yeah there's a line by it um another song um it's a j cole song i don't think it was released on an album maybe on a mixtape but a a line on on a song called pass me by where he's talking about being in court i think Uh on a weed charge and um the same talks about the same crooked balance where he he says something along the lines of like and he's talking to the judge like how are you about to sit above me are you perfect like how are you going to judge yeah. me um and it's just the same you know the same thing it's just like who who gave you the black robe and not me it's just this arbitrary system mm-hmm. like she said it's all entertainment you know high profile gladiators and yeah. bloodthirsty arenas that that like takes me back that's like a russell Crow gladiator. Are you not entertained? But it is. Are you not like, entertained? Yeah, but I mean, this is what I mean. Less than a decade after the OJ trial, mm-hmm. like which totally changed the game in terms of like courtroom theatrics. 
Um, yeah, how much of it is just lawyers posturing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for each other and for the system, so that yeah, so that you can like move up egos. Becomes less about the client, more about how you argue the case, so that you can argue better cases, win or lose. Let's move on to something. I'm gonna give a little little research breakdown on because i did some digging into this one and the whole song isn't about court but it has some of my favorite bars about court of all time this is rick ross stay scheming life so short fuck i don't want to go to court fuck got a budget for the lawyer though I'm on the run for the month. I'm in the Life so short, I don't want to go to court. That's all it is. I love it. But when I I've heard this so many times, and I think about it kind of a lot. And when I when we were prepping for this episode, I had to figure out what court did Rick Ross not want to go to when he wrote. Life's so short, I don't want to go to court. So I did some digging because Rosé himself has had a lot of different legal issues. If you haven't read his his autobiography called Hurricanes, would recommend. Not like as a serious piece of literature, but like it's a fun read. And it starts with him, his house getting raided by the feds for assaulting some guy. And I don't know all the details of that case, but it post-dates still scheming he was already going to court over a lot of stuff when he wrote this song so it was recorded in 2011 and i consulted that great fount of knowledge wikipedia about what ross was going to court over in 2011 and i found at least one criminal case and two copyright cases so in march 26 of 2011 rick ross was arrested in shreveport louisiana For possession of marijuana, according to police records, a strong odor of marijuana was detected from his room at the Hilton in downtown Shreveport. So he's having to drag himself to Shreveport, Louisiana, which I assume he passed through on tour and was just, you know, baking up the hotel room. So he doesn't want to go to that court. And then the year prior, in June 10, sorry, in June 2010, a copyright infringement case had started against him by a man named Freeway Ricky Ross. Now, Freeway Ricky Ross, he was a drug kingpin who spent a lot of time in prison and was released around 2010. And since then, by all accounts, has been an upstanding citizen and kind of a an influencer of sorts. But he gets out, and suddenly he's not the biggest guy with the name rick ross around it's rick ross himself so freeway ricky ross sues rick ross for copyright infringement this case is dragging on into 2011 because freeway originally sued in federal court and then was booted out and had to refile it in california state court and actually freeway ricky ross tried to block the release of rick ross's album teflon don because of this copyright infringement Meanwhile, there is a different rapper named Teflon Don who brings a different copyright infringement suit against Rick Ross for the name of the album Teflon Don. 
that was also going on in 2011. But eventually the freeway Ricky Ross thing results in a court siding with Rick Ross in a First Amendment ruling. This is Judge Boren uh, of a California appeals court. Okay, I think this is a, a state appeals court in California. He says, Roberts, that's the real name for Rick Ross. Roberts created a celebrity identity using the name Rick Ross of a cocaine kingpin turned rapper, says the ruling. He was not simply an imposter seeking to profit solely off the name and reputation of Rick Ross. Rather, he made music out of fictional tales of dealing drugs and other exploits, some of which related to the plaintiff, Freeway Ricky Ross. Using the name and certain details of an infamous criminal's life as basic elements, he created original artistic works. In other words, the name Rick Ross is art. Rosé, you did it again, so you win. But he would still have to go to court a lot after that for, you know. Oh, a variety other of copyright, things. A variety of things. Yes. Yeah. There's also that time where Rick Ross bragged uh, in his lyrics about, you know, putting Molly in a woman's drink. Yeah, roof, roofing people. Yeah. Not a great... Not that he's faced any accountability for that, but... No. Yeah. Sorry, Rosé, you're a extremely flawed individual. But fun to talk about. You know, he used to be a prison guard, too. I was just looking at the track list for the... Uh, yeah, Officer Roberts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was just looking at the track listing for uh, Teflon Don. Like, what if that other Rick Ross had won? We would be lost without Aston Martin Music, uh-huh. Super High, Maybach Music 3. Oof. What an album. It's also funny that, like, Ricky Ross, the guy who helped Usher crack in the <laughs> Usher and crack in the 80s into American neighborhoods, you know, black, black and brown neighborhoods specifically. It's funny that he would be criticizing somebody else about, like, telling tales of selling crack. <laughs> right. Like, like, what was freeway ricky ross really hoping to do with his name face and likeness as like a guy paroled on a major drug trafficking offense (laughs) yeah how is he supposed to get back on the street without his moniker right this is the question if it weren't for rick ross the rapper like would freeway ricky ross actually be like a higher profile figure like is rick ross kind of raining on his parade who knows he could he could have been the next host of jeopardy or would he be going after freeway the rapper so i'm looking at his wikipedia now again this the entirety of our research on this podcast is is found in on the pages of wikipedia it looks like as of 2000 yeah as of 2022 Freeway Rick Ross started a boxing management company called Team Freeway Boxing. So I guess he's moved on from from Rick Ross um, and is is just using Freeway. Well, I wonder if this is complicated by the fact that there's another successful rapper named Freeway. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was saying. Like, is he just going to go after Freeway then? When's the next lawsuit? Stopped at every turn.
I've got two more amazing court-related songs that I want to quickly get through, and then we'll call it a night, guys. Are you familiar with The Last Mr. Big, Trial Time, a.k.a. Take That Shit to Trial? Get your 12 white folks and take that shit to trial, bitch. Y'all motherfuckers talking about giving me 20 motherfucking years. I got four motherfucking lawyers standing right here and we'll strike this bitch up. And if that shit don't work, I'll make y'all bitches kill me in this motherfucking courtroom. So motherfuck you, fuck the judge, fuck the DA, and fuck all you weak ass. I got to make a plan, cause them laws is on my ass. I just got a bird and I gotta sell it fast. They know about the down payments on my third house. They know about the diamond in my little sister mouth. They know about the beans. And this is just essential. This is an amazing song by the late rapper from Louisiana, the last Mr. Big. Just talking about his exploits, evading the law and taking that shit to trial and um, major oh, drug trafficking. And it's I love that. Fantastic. I love it. I would smuggle, I would smuggle Take a speaker in the court just so I can play that song right after beating a case and walking out of the courtroom. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> Take that shit to trial. As I saw even today, Zoom bomb a courtroom with that song blasting. (laughs) I didn't see that (laughs) form of Zoom bomb. What I actually saw today was someone Zoom bomb and their Zoom name was the name of a different judge. Said honorary Mark (laughs) Slavens on the Zoom. And then the screen pops up and he's just doing like a jerk off motion. (laughs) Judge impersonator. (laughs) Unbelievable. Anyway. Uh, so that's uh, Trial Time. Go find it. it. It's amazing. And then this is a real deep cut, but a real piece of piece of art by a rapper named Sticky Fingers. Fingers, F-I-N-G-A-Z. Mm-hmm. And he has a song called State vs. Yeah. Kirk Jones. It's about three minutes, and it's notable because the entire song is a trial and i'll just give you a little excerpt of it here but like if you if you're a nerd about this stuff like me you've got to find this song sticky fingers state versus kirk jones Rod Digger, too, is the judge. Oh, really? Well, I don't even know who that is. I say, oh, really? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> you don't know Rod Digger? Man, I don't know as many obscure rappers as you do, Nelson. I don't host I don't host a hip-hop show on AM radio, which is a compliment. But, like, that one is also... Thank you. I, like, I remember you actually, you shared us, or you shared that song with us at one point, like... Everybody pops up on, on that one too. Oh, like Red, Red Man is on that song. Huh. Cannabis is on that song. I gotta go back and, and, and listen to the song more. It reminds me of the Gucci Mane album, State versus State Roger versus Roger Davis. Davis. And I almost um, 
well, we're yeah. including it now, but I don't have any great song pullouts from State versus Roderick Davis, but it's just a great album name and cover. I'll, I'll leave folks with a funnier one. There's also the Usher album, Raymond versus Raymond, um, which actually gets the V right. And like in like court cases, mm-hmm. it's just V dot, not VS dot. And so it's like Raymond V Raymond, which like, haha, like he's mm-hmm. battling himself. Um, but there's a song, there's a song on that album called Guilty. And it's just Usher whining about like at least emotionally cheating on his partner. And it's like, oh, sorry. Am I guilty for going to the club? Am I guilty for wanting to have some fun? Like, he's just, it's its so fun to listen to. Isn't all, aren't all Usher songs, like, him whining about emotionally cheating? What, you got confessions? Yeah, either he finds himself in this situation a lot, or he's just been in one of these situations and has made a whole career around and even it. In, and he's proud of it. Like, in Confessions Part 2, he's like, <laughs> I hope you can respect the fact that I'm man enough to be telling you this right now. It's like, what? That you're having a, that you got someone else pregnant? <laughs> I'm supposed to respect that about you, Usher? Goddamn. He's a bold man. Does that mean that T.I. versus T.I.P., is that a legal case? Mm, I guess so. I forgot about that one. I don't think it is. Yeah, T.I. versus T.I.P. Is it? Let's see. It's, it's, it's yes, yes. Yeah. So I think that that denotes that it's more of an internal conflict than like an actual, you know, case or controversy. This has been a great time, guys. We'll be back again. Not going to promise soon. Our listeners will know the pace of this podcast is when we've got time for it. But we love it, and we hope you love it too. And mm-hmm. keep at it. Keep keep those ears open because we'll yeah we'll keep pumping stuff towards you that's a very weird way of saying that we're going to continue this podcast <laughs> <laughs> keep your ears mm-hmm. open because we'll keep putting stuff in them. <laughs> let's do it in the words of benny the butcher the judge gonna give you life and later that day he gonna be playing golf mm. so watch out for courtrooms folks <laughs> yeah that's happened can't end any better way. This has been Nelson the Mayan. I'm Ramos, a.k.a. Pending. And this is the white wizard feeling significantly less wizardly when I walk out of court most days, but significantly more white. You just heard an episode of Fear of a Border Planet, a podcast written, produced, and edited by the hosts, Jami, Carrie, Nelson, and Ramos. Please subscribe to Fear of a Border Planet on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, check out our Fear of a Border Planet playlist on Apple and Spotify so you too can listen to the music discussed on the pod. Fear of a Border Planet does not own the rights to any music featured here, so if you're a studio bigwig who does own the rights and you believe our inclusion of the music is not fair use, please send us a politely worded cease and desist. As always, the views expressed in this pod are solely those of the hosts and our agreeable listeners, not any of our employers or the feds. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Catch you later.
You should get a robe like a judge and then you can be a wizard. But you'll be a cool judge that only gives good sentences. I've never heard of such a judge, <laughs> but I'd be happy to be the first. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you have... You'll, you'll be impeached or recalled after three to five days. Well, go I'd like it. to go out in flames. I'd like my judicial <laughs> career to be like Wyclef Jean's presidential run. <laughs> Throwback to episode three. <laughs> yeah, for the long time listeners. <laughs>